0: There's been a lot going on over the last few years, and we have. there's been a lot of financial pressure over a lot of people. Uh, and then we've gone through so much, looting and flooding, and then we've got the elections coming up. And this can create an incredible insecurity and uncertainty as to what the future holds, and where we're going to be financially, and what we're going to go through. So over the past two weeks... We've looked at um, the incredible accounts of Joshua and Caleb, these faithful men that took the land because God put it on their hearts. Yet when they were born, they were born into slavery. What happened is God called his people and he says, I want you to leave Egypt and I want you to go to the promised land that I have for you. And then what happens is um, he sends these ten plagues and these plagues go over Egypt And the whole country would have been affected. The whole economy of the whole country would have been absolutely rattled. Yet despite the fact that the Israelites were in the same economy, their outcome was completely different. So we can be in an economy, yet our outcome can be completely different from the economy that we live in. So listen to this, Exodus 28 verse 22. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms, skipping forward. So you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. God has the ability to enable his people who live in the same economical climate to see a different result. So what I'm sharing with you this morning, I'm trusting, is going to be incredibly freeing for you. The principle is this, kingdom living produces kingdom results. And we can go to church every Sunday and not embrace kingdom living and kingdom principles. But kingdom living produces kingdom results. So eventually the, 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 the Egyptians realized God is with these people. So the Egyptians said to them, look, you guys can go. And before they go, there's a supernatural transferring of wealth from the Egyptians to the Israelites. And this isn't because the Israelites were um, begging for it. They weren't fighting for it. They weren't forcing it. It just was a supernatural hand of God. I'm going to give from those that have to those that don't. Because that's the God that we serve. And we as believers, just a reminder, are king's kids. If you are a believer in this room, you're a child of the most high God. So we are not governed by this world's economy or we are governed by our kingdom economy. And when we apply kingdom principles, we get kingdom results. So we can live the ways of the world and get the world's results, or we can live the way of the kingdom and get the kingdom's results. So when it comes to money, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And like anything, we are only as fruitful as what we apply. So we can hear a lot of information and a lot of teaching on a lot of good things, but we are only going to see the fruits of what we actually apply. When God gave us people, the So today's message... It is a tough one, but it's incredibly important. In the 70s, there was a man named Howard Dayton, and he did a study on what the Bible says about money and possessions. He said this, 2,350 scriptures refer to money and possessions, and only 500 speak about faith and prayer. And what we do as a church is we speak the whole year about faith and prayer, and we speak very little about money. We take up an offering, and then he says this. He asks the question, why is that? Why does God speak so much about money? Because God knows that our attitude towards money is a reflection or an indication of where our heart is with God. The way that we handle our money is a reflection of where our heart is with God. And many of Jesus' parables, they actually deal with money. Jesus speaks into money a lot. So if you are visiting for the first time, you're probably thinking, I knew it! (laughs) They were going to talk about money. If I go to church, they're going to talk about money. The truth is, I don't talk about money that much. If anything, I probably try and speak about money once a year, and I didn't for the first five years of planting the church. So this may be like the fifth time I've actually preached on money in ten years. But you happen to come today, so maybe the Lord is speaking to you. Um, And if you think that I talk about money a lot, can you imagine how you would have felt around Jesus? (laughs) He speaks about money a lot. Remember, God absolutely loves you. He cares about you. So when he speaks into these things, it's not because he's trying to manipulate you or guilt you. It's because he wants to see you living your very best life. And the Bible teaches into it. So you can take my words today and you can write them off. Or you can go to Scripture and say, Lord, what is your heart towards what I've got? And how can I live uh, in a way that honors you? So Jesus doesn't just speak into our spiritual lives. He speaks into our, our into our relationships and our work and our and how to have boundaries, and how to handle our, our marriages, and all things pertaining to life and godliness. And money is a big one of those things. So when it comes to, are you, are you, normally the church is like, "Yeah, today I want to go home. It's so hot. So when it comes to our personal finances, there are four and uh, big. There are four big kingdom principles. Apply kingdom principles, get kingdom results. There are four big pillars when it comes to money. Uh, And these are things that we see in Scripture. Number one, tithing. Number two, giving, which is separate to the tithe. Number three, saving, which is something that the Scriptures really encourage and honor, saving. And number four, spending wisely. Tithing, giving, saving, and spending wisely. These are kingdom principles that get kingdom results. And today we are going to talk about number one, which is the tithe. So if you are somebody in the room and you like, look, Tim, uh, I know about the tithe. I've, I've lived in my life devoting myself to tithing. I, I hope that today will stir and encourage your faith and you'll think to yourself, thank you, Lord Jesus, that I've been walking in a way that honors you. And your faith will be lifted up. If you don't tithe in the room, Today is not about manipulating you or making you feel fearful or removing your freedom, but rather to shed light on something that could really, really bless your lives, right? Paul and I both have a very strong conviction to tithe. We did before we were together. We thank the Lord we both did when we were together. And and it's something that we've seen the hand of God work in. So God has supernaturally provided for us, despite us often. And we have sown into God. And, and one of the things that's hard is when you're when you're pastor, people think, ah, you're preaching on tithing because you benefit. But this is something that we absolutely devoted ourselves to and have seen the power of God in our lives and so many other lives because it's something we embraced way before we were in ministry. And, of course, we have faced tough times. Sometimes we've had more money than money. Um, yet, God is faithful, and God has always come through. So... Um, before we get to the questions that I'm going to ask and answer today, I want to just, for those that have tithed into City Hill Church, there's been people that have sold property, taken the money from the sale of their property, and sown it into uh, the work of the church. We've seen people that have stepped out in faith in the most difficult circumstances, and they have trusted God with the tithe, and God has shown up in the most amazing way. We have so many incredible testimonies. Um, and I also know this, God doesn't seem to mind waiting, we're talking this morning, until the 11th hour and 59th minute for, to come through. You're like, Lord, I need that now. And God says, oh, what you need now is faith, but I'll come through <laughs> right at the last second. But no matter what, God is awesome. You, you, thank, <laughs> thank you, Chris. The rest of you can wait while I talk to Chris. Oh, no, no, you can't go, Gary. <laughs> so, the questions are this. Number one, what is the tithe? Number two, what is the significance of the tithe? Number three, what's in it for me? And number four, what stops people from tithing? So question number one, what is the tithe? If you are taking notes, this is a the definition. The, the tithe is a Bible word, meaning the first tenth of our gross income, set aside as holy to God and is an act of worship and obedience. I'm going to read that again. The tithe is a Bible word meaning the first tenth of our gross income that is set aside as holy to God as an act of worship and obedience. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Verse 32 Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And I understand this is talking to people in a farming community because that was their form of income. Yet the principle is this. First in belongs to the Lord. Why? Because it is holy to the Lord. So God has a principle, a, prom, a premise with a promise. He says the tithe is holy to me. So he set it apart for God. And I realize that a lot of people can think, oh, Tim, that's great because you living under law and I live under grace and um, the tithe is something that we need to understand is part of the law. But the truth is the tithe existed before the law, right? And then Jesus even speaks of it. It's through, it, before the law, through the law, and then Jesus again mentions it in Matthew 23. So when um, it comes to the Old Testament and the law, so the law eventually, am I, I'm echoing, I don't know why. So the law eventually meets up with the cross, and when the law uh, met the cross, one of three things happened. Right? Number one, some stuff that applied to the law, when it met the cross, was removed. So, for example, there were certain dietary requirements that the law upheld, but when the cross of Jesus came, there was a freedom and a grace that came, and therefore those dietary re- requirements no longer. Ooh, I'm. I'm something's happening. Changed. Oh, no, you can put me back however I was. Sorry, Rion. This is, this is worse. Um, then the next is this. So some stuff still exists today. For example, do not lie. Do not steal. Do not murder. You can be like, oh, Tim, I'm under grace now. That's all part of the law. So therefore, you know, like, I can kill who I like. No, no, no. Those laws applied, and they still apply today. So in other words, the cross didn't remove those laws. And then there are some things that got an upgrade. Like Jesus' teaching on the Sermon uh, Sermon of the Mount, our attitudes, our identities, our callings went from one thing and then they got upgraded to be something altogether new. So when it comes to tithing, this is something that I believe carried through from the old into the new. If anything, the principle of of tithing remains, yet yet the principle of generosity gets upgraded. So we're not looking for excuses not to give. We're finding every reason to bring the tithe to the Lord and at the same time to live lives that are generous. So we are all together. Thank you to those. Um, So listen to the scripture. This introduces the tithe. This is when the tithe was introduced in scripture. And this was given to Abraham, who's known as the father of our faith. So the introduction, the father figure of our faith, this is what it says in Genesis 14. And I know today is more of a teaching than a preaching, one I believe and I've heard, paying it forward, but at the same time, I absolutely agree with these principles. Genesis 14, verse 18 to 24. Then Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. In the book of Hebrews, Melchizedek was a type that pointed forward to Jesus. So when we read about Melchizedek, we can think of Jesus. Also, Salem means peace. So so Melchizedek is the king of peace. peace. He's the priest, and he is of of the God Most High, and he's introducing bread and wine. And in Hebrew, the word for God Most High is the word El Elyon, which means infinite God. So the priest and king of peace representing the infinite God comes to Abraham and this is what happens. And he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham, Or I know it's Abraham even before Abraham. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to the God most high who delivers your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. What's amazing is that the starting point of the tithe was a revelation of the God most high. It wasn't because there was pressure and he was forced to and he was told if he doesn't, he's not going to be blessed. He wasn't put under any pressure. He just had a revelation of the God of peace, the infinite God. And in that revelation, he says, Lord, a tenth of all I have is yours. And in that, God says, I am honored by your tithe. Abraham is foreshadowing a tithe that belongs to Jesus. Another example, in Genesis 28, Abraham's grandson, a guy named Jacob, this is what happens. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, a bit of a, he's taking a bit of a detour actually, I am, uh, the journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. In other words, if he will be my provider of all that he, you give me, I will give you a tenth. So we can look at the tithe like this. I take 10% of what's mine and I give it to God. Or we can look at the tithe like this. Everything I have has been given to me by God. So therefore, as an act of faith and obedience, I give 10% back. So we bring our tithe to the storehouse as an offering back to what God's already given us. And I can tell you this whether you believe it or not. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything we have is God's. And if we say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, I give you my soul, I give you my everything, and the stuff you've given me, I just kind of want to hold on to it. It's a reflection of where our hearts, but if we say in faith, Lord, I give it back to you, then it is an act of faith. Abraham and Jacob didn't, they didn't sit in a church service and they get pressured to give the tithe. They didn't, have a, they didn't even have a Bible like we have today. They didn't watch a DVD on generosity. All they had was a revelation of God And through that revelation, their hearts changed. And their heart towards money changed. And they were like, it's all God's anyway. So, what is the significance of the tithe? Three things. It's a sign of honoring God. When we tithe, we are honoring God. Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your bonds will be filled to overflow, and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's a promise with a premise. If you do this, then I will do this. But when you apply faith, then the reward will be faith. Kingdom principles, kingdom results. So we don't give God the leftovers. We don't say, I will tithe if I can afford to at the end. We say, I will tithe my first fruits to God, and then I will trust Him in faith with whatever I've got left remaining. So we give our first fruits to God. Making money, for those of you that make money, and we all need money to survive, it takes energy and effort and time. And it's difficult to make money. And 10% is symbolic of all of those things. So essentially when we give our tithe to God, we're saying, Lord, my time, my energy, my effort, my work, my ability to do all those things is from you, and I give back to you. Sure. So quiet. I know what you're all thinking. I can't wait to tithe. Yeah, we're not having an offering after the service. The next thing is it's a sign of worship. Worship comes from the old English word, which means worship. We're saying, Lord, you are worth this. You are worth it. When we tithe, we're expressing, expressing worship to God. That's one of the reasons we take up the tithe during our worship. Why? Because it's part of our worship. What we give, our song, our money, our hearts, our devotion, our time, our energy, our efforts are all devoted to God. So we take up the offering during worship. Why? Because it's part of our worship. The next is it's an act of obedience. And you could say, well, I see it differently, yet I believe that the tithe honors God. This is is my conviction. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So these people were giving their money, but their hearts weren't in it. They felt this religious duty to have to give. So they gave, and God's saying, that's wonderful that you're giving. You know, And he goes on to say, you should have practiced the latter, without neglecting the former. The latter was the heart and the former was the tithe. They're saying this, God's saying this, I, it's not, I don't need your money. <laughs> He's saying I want your heart. Your money is just a reflection of where your heart is at. You can give reluctantly and uncheerfully, and hate the fact that you're giving and feel like you have to give because someone's monitoring it. N- n- no one's monitoring it. I'll say it again later on. I don't know who tithes and I don't know who doesn't. I don't need to know. I'm gonna, we, we are going to love and shepherd and care for people whether they tithe or not and God will love you the same. But as an act of faith, we say, Lord Jesus, we want to honor you. We want to worship you. We want to obey you. So, the next question is this. What's in it for me? And some of you are probably thinking, what? How could you even think what's in it for me? And others are like, yes, please, let's get to the good part. Um, uh, I think our heart should be as a church, Lord, more of you, not more from you. And yes, we need more from God, and we trust God, we got, trust God for buildings, and we trust God for bases, and we trust God for... Um, You know, many things, but we want more of God. That's our heart, not just more from God. So the question is, what's in it for me? Malachi 3, verse 10 to 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It goes on, but think about it. If God said to me, bring it all, tithe, full stop, move on. We should and could, but he goes on. And by the way, the storehouse is a reflection of the place that you're being fed. So if you are visiting from another church, you tithe to that place. If you're being fed here spiritually, then you, this is the storehouse. So to bring the full tithe, why do we bring the full tithe? So that there may be food in my house. God so provides. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. So God's like, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. I will bless you if you walk in this place. And then he says this, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. But then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So all the nations look on and they say that political climate and that economical climate is terrible, yet the church for some reason are still flourishing. Why is that the nations pay attention? Because we live under a different economy. We apply kingdom principles and we get kingdom results. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. We don't know how God does it, but God has a way of providing. So when we tithe, what happens? We see God's power, God's provision, and God's protection. That's what the scripture says. I will release my power, I will release my provision, and I will release my protection. Think about this practically. What comes first, the sowing or the harvest? Do we harvest and then, do we, uh, sorry, do we harvest then sow seeds, or do we sow seeds and then harvest? What many of us do is say, "Lord, bless me," and when I've got something, I'll sow. Instead of in faith saying, "Lord, I'll sow, and then I'll produce. I'll trust you for a harvest from what I've sown." So we take the seed and we sow it into the ground. And I can say this. I mean, I have so many testimonies. Paul and I have trusted God with our finances, despite all we've gone through, still even then. And God has been faithful. Uh, God will be faithful. God, And do you not know else? This scripture says, test me in this. In actual fact, the rest of the Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The only place that God says, actually, do not, if you want it, you can test me, is with our money. He says this, when it comes to the tithe, test me. Everything else, don't put me to the test. So what stops people from tithing? The fear that we're going to be worse off. I could have more money to spend on other things, and I need that money. Remember the difference between the the Red Sea, or the Sea of Galilee, and the the, um, Dead Sea. The one sea has life all around it, and plants, and birds, and it's... there's plenty of fish, and it's full of life, and the other sea is salty and dead, and all the land around it is dead, and nothing happens. The difference between those two seas, one has an outlet, the other one doesn't. When we let everything flow into our lives with no outlet, we get saltier and saltier, and things around us start to decay. But when we are generous with what we've got to God, then God brings life to what we've got. And then all of a sudden, the the outflow, the overflow produces life around us. So what stops us from tithing is we think we're going to be worse off. I need that extra money. Fear causes us to hold back. It, ref- it restricts that outflow. The second thing is what is the church going to do with it? There is a long answer to this and breakdowns of exactly what's going on. Yet, like another preacher said, if after the service the, the, they took the money and they went and burnt it outside all the leaders... That's something God will hold the leaders accountable for, and, and, and He will, because it's holy to the Lord. But w- w- the way we tithe is between us and God. So what happens with it is important, especially to us as leaders. We want to stirred well. And the elders sitting here, they understand it. They can look into it. They can question. They can query. They can, we can plan, dream, budget. We can have vision for things. We can work with what we've got to honor God. But you tithing is not based on what we do. It's based on your response to God. As leaders, we obviously want to honor God. And I've heard people say, like, when I get to heaven, I wonder if I'll say, oh, no, I wish I'd prayed less. I also don't think we we will ever say, I I wish I'd tithed less, or I wish I'd been less generous. I think when we get to heaven one day, we'll think, I wish I'd prayed more. I wish I'd been extravagantly generous. I wish I'd trusted that you were actually my father because you are. And I'd lived like a king's kid. So God has the ability, by the way, to take what's very little, and multiply it forward. And we do this in faith. On a side note, i say it again. I don't want to know who tithes. I don't want to give anyone preference because they give something and someone else doesn't. Another thing, and I said it earlier, and I'll say it again, God loves you absolutely because of what He gave, not because of what you give. What we give is just a reflection of where our heart is at. What He gave determines how he loves you and he loves you absolutely and maybe you're sitting in this room and you've never given a cent and you never will god will not love you less god loves you absolutely but we want to be people that live lives of faith and extravagant faith and when we live lives of faith he says this test me and see what i will do and as we get more in we say lord jesus it's yours we want to be kingdom people that see the expansion of the kingdom so to end Jesus loves you absolutely whether you give or not. But our giving is going to be a response to the generosity of God. Joshua and Caleb in those generations, they embraced this principle of tithing because they had a revelation of Jesus. So if there's one thing I want to pray for us today, it's not that we will give, it's that we will have a revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to, let's, let's, let's stand together. We may have a word, we'll see, but I want to to reiterate, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Please, the the, scripture says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Um, You you don't have to feel like, oh man, I've been whipped over the back today. God's saying this, the Father heart of God, I just want an opportunity to release blessing over your lives, and faith pleases me, so live by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will be at peace. I thank you that there's no heaviness, guilt, shame, condemnation. I thank you, Lord Jesus. All of us have a revelation of who you are. It's all yours, Lord. It's from you and it's to you. And what we've got, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we don't make it about how amazing we are, but it's a reflection of how amazing you are. And if there's people in the room, Lord Jesus, that are really struggling and are financially really in a difficult space, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as they pursue you and find you, they don't feel guilted to tithe, Lord Jesus, but they just hear your voice and you will lead them to a fruitful place. I pray for the leaders of City Hill Church, Lord Jesus, that we will steward what comes in, an, in, in a faith, God-honoring way that pleases you and brings expansion to the kingdom keeps the ministry alive, Lord Jesus, and brings life to other ministries. I pray, Lord, that our church won't just be a a blessing to this community, but that other churches in our community will flourish because of our generosity towards them. I thank you for what we've got. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when it came to our lives, you spared no cost. You sent your Son to die on the cross, that whoever believes... We'll have eternal life. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that our giving will be a reflection of the overflow of gratitude, worship, and obedience to the King of Kings. We honor you with our finances. Open the floodgates of heaven over this church and over the people of this church, and may everyone in this room walk in a supernatural, God-given freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.